0: Good morning, fellowship. How are we doing? Let me add my welcome. My name is Eric Hoffman. I'm one of the executive pastors here at Fellowship, and it's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, My wife, Melissa, and I are originally from the Great Lakes state of Michigan. Any Michiganders in the room? Hold up your map. Hold it up proud okay i 'm from uh, Lansing. my wife's from Holland. I moved here twelve years ago to help launch the Franklin campus, and so that 's where we typically are on Sunday mornings. But being from Michigan, you know it 's the best place to be in the United States four months out of the year. Would you all agree, people from Michigan there's a reason why we moved down here though it 's this thing called winter, um, that lasts eight months of the year, okay so uh, we often go back in the summers, multiple times in the summers. Um, I still have family back there, and so as you know, we're driving up there. We have three boys, 12, 10, and 8, and they have become professional car riders. Okay, that's one of the byproducts of that. And we can get to Michigan. It's an eight-hour trip in one stop. Yeah, collective oz, Ooh, that's impressive. You're asking yourself, Eric, teach us your ways. What are your secrets? Number one, uh, if you don't give them water, they cannot go. That's that's the number one. <laughs> and number two is, is we discovered audiobooks of these dramatic, you know, audiobooks, these dramatic readings of audiobooks. And one of our favorites as a family is C.S. Lewis of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, and so it kind of walks through we've listened to them all, The Focus on the Family did did a dramatic reading of those, and particularly the line Witch in the Wardrobe. And I was thinking about this passage that we're coming to right now and, and what we're going to be talking about and what John, John the Baptist and this Gospel of John is pointing us to. It really is kind of the storyline of the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the classic. And if you think about it, the four siblings uh, make it to this magical place of Narnia. And so they're, they're journeying into Narnia, but Narnia. Is in winter. It's this evil queen has kind of expanded winter, and and winter has been happening for so long that they actually don't remember what it was like when it was not winter. And so we, um, you know, we're thinking about this, and the the four siblings as they enter into from the wardrobe into Narnia, they represent. This prophecy of the one who was going to come and make everything right again, these two sons of Adam and these two daughters of Eve represent and become messengers of hope to the creatures of Narnia, that not that they are the hope, but messengers of the hope pointing to the one who is to come, Aslan, Aslan the great lion who will defeat the queen and end winter. And so these four siblings become these messengers of hope, pointing to the one who is to come. And when we see John the Baptist, we frequently call him John the Baptist, John confesses that he is not the one, but he is that messenger of hope, pointing to the one who is to come. John holds one of the most important roles in, in our scriptures of really bridging the Old Testament prophet's message to the New Testament of who Jesus is. There, have been many uh, years who have not God has not spoken to his people through a prophet. And so John comes on the scene declaring that there is one who is to come greater than him. Last week we were introduced to this character, John, who we refer to as the Baptist. And I was talking with my kids this week and I was just like, guys, I think we should name him John the witness because he's named the witness five times in these short verses. And they were just like, no dad, I think we'll go with John the Baptist. So John the Baptist it is, so John was sent from God He came as a witness to bear witness of who Jesus was, that he was the light, he was the light, that he was not, but he was the light. John um, refers to, uh, kind of points to this witness. Now, we see that John, uh, what he came to do, his calling and his purpose, Luke chapter one talks about John's backstory. And John's backstory is he has Zechariah, his dad, and Elizabeth, his mom, and they're old in age. And Zechariah is visited from a messenger from God and tells, tells him that you are gonna have a son in your old age and you should call him John. Now here's the purpose of your son. Here's why, what he's gonna do. He is going to prepare the way for the one who is to come. He is gonna turn the hearts of fathers back to the children. He is going to make a way for the Messiah, And so that is John's calling as this witness is to point people to Jesus who is coming after him. And in the same way, John is one of the first witnesses of who Jesus is. In the same way, we are to model after how John is a witness that we are to have the same purpose and the same calling as a witness that John has and to point people to Jesus, to help prepare people's hearts that they would see the revealed Son of God and put their faith in him and follow him. John's witness, we're gonna see, is something that we can imitate in our own lives as witnesses of who Jesus is. And so that's what we're gonna discover today, that we can help prepare the way of the Lord, and point people to Jesus. So let's begin by walking through this text together. If you want to turn in your Bibles, your booklets, to John chapter 1, verse 19, where Will has just read, we'll work through verses 19 through 34 in this section. And if you're writing kind of what the outline flow is going to be, we're going to start with John's confession, then we're going to move into John's affirmation of who he is, and then his belief in who Jesus is. So confession, affirmation, belief is how we're gonna work through this text. Let's begin in verse 19 through 21. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, well, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Now there's this committee, sort of speak, that is sent from the the Levites and the priests in Jerusalem to investigate what's going on with John. There's a lot of activity happening around John. There's a lot of people talking about what John is doing, wondering who he is, wondering what his ministry is all about. So you have this this group investigating from Jerusalem, and they're asking him, logically asking him, well, who are you? I mean, what's going on here? And so they're asking him all sorts of questions. Now, What's interesting is the way that the the author of the Gospel of John writes this is that he's piling on the negatives here to make a clear point of who John is. Okay, so I wanna just walk through John's confession here. Here's what John confesses, starting back in verse eight of chapter one. I am not the light. Verse 20, I am not the Christ. Verse 21, I am not Elijah. Verse 21, I am not the prophet. Verse 27, I am not worthy to untie." His sandals. When you think about this, John is so clear here of his confession of who he is not. Have you ever thought about your limitations being a good thing? This this week we were talking with our our staff and there's a staff development we had and uh, Jill Phillips came in and she was talking to us about um, just the idea of limitations and that we are are people who are limited. We're limited in our, in our bodies, uh, we're limited in what we can do by the hours of the day. We're limited and that's what it means to be human is to be dependent, to be, cr- we're created creatures of God who put our trust and dependence in, in who he is. And just after, after first service I was talking to someone and they said, you know, I've never really thought about being clear of who I am not would help me actually live with greater purpose and freedom. And, and she was talking, and she said, "You know, it's, it's. I'm so often caught in the I should be doing more. I should be this. I should be, fill in the blank. That I'm not often thinking about. Well, who am I?" And I was just thinking about our limitations, and it's so easy for us to get caught up in this nonstop, overcommitted schedules of trying to keep everyone happy, or trying to keep everyone's approval, or trying to control all of life. But admitting like John did of who we are not reminds us of our our limits, that we are human. It allows us to do what we're created to do, of trust God, rest in his provision, and then do what he has called us to do. Not what we should do or out of guilt or those type of things, but to actually rest. And John, in, in chapter 3, 28 through 30, reiterates his confession with this beautiful summary of his personal witness to Jesus. He says, I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. He must increase and I must decrease. Now this is where John's clarity of who he is not moves into his clarity of who he is. So he has this confession of who he is not then moves into greater clarity of who he is. And this is what he says, verse 23. He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So John, as this bridge between the Old Testament and New Testament, this Old Testament big picture was designed to point people to their need for this rescuer to come, this need for someone to redeem, this need for this ultimate Redeemer to come. And so John is in line with the prophets, Isaiah and Elijah and the other prophets, preaching this message of the need for a Savior, calling people to faithfully look for the promised one and to put their trust in God. Now, I was thinking about John's purpose and his calling as he's so intentional and so clear about his calling and his purpose. I was thinking about uh, as I was driving this week, you know, when you're preparing a, a message, you know, you're all, you're constantly just kind of thinking about the text and thinking about different things. And I don't know if you've ever driven by a business that has somebody out on by the street and they have one of those signs that are pointing to their business or the, the kind of the sale or something's going on. I mean, those people can do some incredible things with those signs, some of the tricks and things that they're doing. And I was thinking about I was thinking about John and his purpose. He is clearly a signpost pointing to the Redeemer. He is clearly saying, I am not the place that you come for redemption. I am not the one who's gonna bring the redemption, but there is one. I am a bearer of good news pointing to where you need to go. None of us are confused when we see the person for the business that has the sign out front that we're not taking our money up to that person and saying, yes, I would like that 30% off discount right now. How do I do that transaction? We're not thinking that they are actually the person we go to. They're clearly the person pointing to the good news that there is a sale or something going on and that there, there is some place that we need to go. And that's what John is so clear on his role and his purpose. He's a signpost pointing to who Jesus is. In John's confession, he is living that purpose out. Now, if we look at verses 24 through 29, that same, those same people came in to investigate are asking these questions. And based on John's confession, They're saying, if you are not the Christ, if you are not Elijah or the prophet, then why are you baptizing? What are you doing out here? What's your your plan? John was sent and commissioned by God to the Jewish people to baptize. Now, he baptizes... As a sign of repentance, preparing the way of people's hearts to be able to see the revealed Messiah and to be prepared of the way of the Lord, to be able to see who Jesus is clearly, that they would put their faith in him. It's a posture of their heart that he's calling them back to, to confess their sins, to repent, and to prepare their hearts to be able to be able to see who this Messiah is. Is that's what the the purpose of John and him as one of the first witnesses of Jesus? Now, John was not trying to make a ministry name for himself, and we're going to see that come up later in the gospel. That there's some that are like, "Are are you not upset that Jesus and that his disciples are baptizing?" And he's he's clear on what he's called to do. No, he is a witness pointing to who Jesus is, the one to come. Now, in the same way. That John, with his purpose, that he would be coming in the spirit of power of Elijah, pointing people to and preparing the hearts for the people, he's a witness. He's called a witness five times in this this short little section of where we're learning about John. We, in the same way, are given this same purpose and calling as followers of Jesus. If you look at Acts 1.8, we see this very clear, that each one of us is called to be a witness. And here's what Jesus says to us. But you will receive power, talking to his disciples, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is exactly what John came to do. And that's what we're called to as well. With The power of the Spirit to prepare the way of the Lord as witness pointing to people so that they would put their trust and follow Jesus. Jesus is inviting all people to know him and follow him. And we are witnesses pointing to that good news. Now, I want to make this really tangible for each of us of what does it mean to be a witness I want you to think right now, if you've come to put your faith and trust in Jesus and are a follower of Jesus, I want you to think right now, who was the faithful witness for you? Who are those people that prepared the way for you to believe? It could be the people that audibly spoke the good news of Jesus. It could be people who brought you to the place where you heard the good news of Jesus. It could be your parents or, or other people maybe in high school that you were a- alongside that prepared through, through their life, through their words that pointed you to Jesus and your need for Jesus. But I want, you, I want you to have that picture in your mind of who helped prepare the way for you to come to faith. You see, each one of us had a witness in our life that prepared the way for us to receive the good news they either proclaimed the good news or or showed us or or brought us to that every one of us needed a messenger and later on the scriptures are going to say how can someone believe if no one is sharing the good news how can someone put their faith if we are not telling them what is going on and so in that way i want you to think about empowered by the spirit when you pray for those who have yet to believe you are stepping into your calling and purpose of being a witness. When you serve those with compassion and need, you're living into your calling and purpose as a witness. when you eat with those far from God at your table, you're stepping into your calling and purpose as a witness. When you share what you're learning from from Jesus to other people, you're stepping into your calling as a witness. When you tell your redemption story with Jesus as the hero, you're stepping into your calling as a witness. By your life and words, you are a witness to others, pointing people to Jesus. So the thing I want you to think about, if there is a witness in your life, who has God placed in your sphere of influence that needs you to be that witness? Each one of us in this room has a sphere of influence of people that we live around, people that we work around, people that we do activities around. Who are those people that God has placed you with a purpose and calling to point them to Jesus, to be a faithful witness, empowered by the Spirit. Let's look at verse 29. This is kind of the central part of this text this morning. The next day, he, John, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is John's belief statement of who he believes that Jesus is. John refers to Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now this is clear imagery of the atonement, of the sacrificial atonement system that was, was happening in the temple. Particularly the Passover lamb where the people of Israel, when they, when they left Egypt... You have, you have the Passover, so the, the last plague you have where death is going to come over and anyone who doesn't have the blood of a perfect lamb sp- uh, sp- put on the doorpost would not have death co- come, come over, they, they actually death would visit that house. So the lamb's blood was actually a substitutionary atonement for that household. They covered that household and death would pass over that house. Now, I want you to think about this. In the Old Testament, the sacrificial system we see of goats atoning for sins and all those things, it was a covering of sin. What does John say? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away so the Old Testament sacrificial system was a covering of sin that they had to keep coming back to receive covering of sin. What is it? John very clearly changes everything here, doesn't he? And he says, Jesus is the ultimate lamb who takes away sin. Not just covers sin, but takes away sin. That is something the sacrificial system could not do The sacrificial system was pointing that we are in need of rescue, that we are a people in need of a redeemer. And John is saying, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now I want you to think about, the one thing I've been thinking about, how can I summarize Old Testament, John's message and then the message of the New Testament. We've got three phrases that I think will help us get there. I was thinking back of Genesis 22:7, where Isaac is brought by Abraham in that story, and Isaac is there with his dad, and there is no lamb." And he says, "Father, where is the lamb? Is that not the question of the Old Testament scriptures? Where is the lamb? Where is the one who will come? We are in need of the Messiah, the ultimate lamb, the ultimate sacrifice. So in the Old Testament, we have, where is the lamb? Here you have John declaring, seeing Jesus and declaring, here, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then at the end of the New Testament, In Revelations 5.12, you will have every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, that has put and has identified themselves with him. Every son and daughter of God by faith in Jesus will declare, worthy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. What a beautiful picture of Jesus who was and is and is to come. John's statement here was very clear to his hearers. Jesus is the ultimate lamb, the one that we have been waiting for, the one we so desperately need, the one who takes away sin. So with that being said, let's look at 32 through 34. And John bore witness. Again, John being described as a witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I've seen and have borne witness that this is the son of God. First, John did not know Jesus was the Messiah until it was revealed to him by God. And the sign of that would be the revelation of who Jesus was, would be from the Holy Spirit confirming that this is the Son of God. And that is true of anyone who comes to faith, who sees Jesus for who he is. It is the Spirit opening their eyes to see, opening their eyes to see their need for who Jesus is and to see who Jesus is clearly. And I pray this morning, if you're investigating, if you're curious about the faith, you're wondering, maybe someone brought you here or you're in a place in your life where you're trying to explore different things and a faith, I pray this morning that the spirit would give you eyes to see who Jesus is, that he's inviting you to know him, he's inviting you to trust him and he's inviting you to follow him and you find your life in him. The second thing I want you to see is something that the author is, is clearly doing here towards creation. Now, what I've loved so far in the Gospel of John is these clear hyperlinks back to Genesis, the opening pages of the Scriptures. And so you, see, you saw in our first week, what, did, what, were the first, what are the first words of the Gospel of John? In the beginning, were the first words of the Scriptures? In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created. And you see that God is the Word. Word was with God, and, and the Word was God. That was in the, in the first message that Lloyd was talking about. Then last week, you had uh, Rob talk about the second image of creation, the second image of a hyperlink back to Genesis. In Genesis, the, the earth was dark and void. And what do you see? Jesus is called what? The light. So you have darkness and the light in Genesis and you have darkness of this world and Jesus is the light. Here's the third image of creation. And this is just, it's so beautiful when you start to see how the Bible is just interwoven, hyperlinked back and forth to each other and telling one complete story. Here's here's the third image. In Genesis 1-2, you have this description of what's going on in, in creation. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And you have the spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, what do we see here in John's gospel? We have this image of the dove hovering over water. It's pulling us back to the creation narrative. Okay, so we have the dove hovering over the water. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 3, 21 through 22, we get a little fuller glimpse of what's happening at Jesus' baptism. I wanna read this for you. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too, and he was praying, and heaven opens up, and the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice comes from heaven, you are my son in whom I love and whom I am well pleased. So what do we have here? We have the Father speaking from heaven, the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, and the Son. What does John remind us of what was happening in creation? You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. Here John is pulling a, a very clear link back. This is the third image of creation. Now, what I want you to take notes is, just say, look forward to chapter three, okay? Now, what, chapter three, what happens? Nicodemus comes in. And how does Jesus describe faith in him? Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must become a new creation. Jesus is very clearly saying, I, this is a creation narrative of what is happening and you can be recreated in me. You can become a new creation through faith in me. John's gospel is so beautiful, y'all. The, the depth of what he's pulling in every word, just the text going back and forth. That to me, um, if someone was gonna say, Eric, how, how do you know that the, that the Bible is divine, that it is God's word? I would say, man, the, I've, been a, I've been a follower of Jesus since I, you know, since I was young, but really reading the scriptures since I was 16, 17, 18. Guys, the, um, the depth and beauty of the scriptures continues to get more beautiful and more deep and more, more profound of how interwoven and connected this is over generations of, of people telling one connected story pointing to Jesus. To me, it's, I mean, I'm, I looked at this this week and I was like, God, thank you for your word. How beautiful it is, how interwoven and connected it is. This isn't like the Old Testament and the New Testament are separate. It's, it's interwoven and connected, telling the one story of, of this. It's beautiful. Thank you. I'm going to go the rest of my life still drilling down on these things, and it's just going to get more profound, more beautiful. I, I think we're just scratching the surface. And uh, John's gospel is so how, he, how, how this is written just points to this beauty, beautiful imagery of being recreated. It's a creation narrative saying, be recreated in Jesus. We're to be linking these moments together. Through Jesus, the Son of God, sent from the Father, you can be reborn. Now, here's the question that many of you are, are, are probably thinking. Okay, if, if John the Baptist came and his baptism was for repentance, then why was Jesus baptized? Was anyone thinking that? Why, if Jesus was, is sinless, why, why is Jesus being baptized? Now, I read many, many commentaries and a lot of theologians like have, have perspectives on this, but I think the one that I think is most clear and compelling that I, I wanna present to you today is, is why Jesus was baptized. And, here, and here's what it is. John's baptism was, it was baptizing with water as a sign of repentance to provide the Jewish people an opportunity to prepare their hearts as a confession of sins and a need for the one who is to come, to prepare for the one who is to come. Now, John, uh, the Baptist, reminds us in, in Matthew 3:14, in, in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is going to come to the baptism, and John the Baptist is going to say to Jesus, no, 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 you should be the one baptizing me. Do you remember that story? So John is very clearly saying, no, Jesus, you don't need this baptism. I'm the one who should be baptized by you. Jesus is sinless. He's perfect. So why is he getting baptized? I believe it's this. John was baptizing for repentance. Jesus By being baptized is fulfilling the righteousness needed for someone to come to God and be in the presence of God. Because from this moment on, Jesus is going to talk about life in him. Put your faith, belief, life in me. The New Testament from from here on out in Paul's letters will refer to those who have put their faith in Christ as in Christ. Jesus is fulfilling everything necessary for you and I to approach the throne of God because the righteousness requirement for us to come before a holy and worthy God is being fulfilled in Jesus. He is identifying with us as fallen humanity in need of a savior. And he is bringing himself to fulfill the righteousness that you and I could never fulfill. You see, you and I, the good news of the gospel is you and I can never be good enough to earn our way to God. You and I can never stand on our own merit and say, it is my righteousness that I have confidence to come before God. There is not one of us in this room who ever could do enough good to overweigh where we are, to have enough security to bring our own righteousness before God. There is not one of us in this room. But the good news of the gospel of Jesus is this, that Jesus takes on flesh sent from God to become like us, that he fulfills the righteous covenant of his perfect life, of his righteousness. So now people that put their faith in Jesus are now what? Covered with his righteousness, So when we come before God, we're not saying, God, I'm here because of my righteousness. I've done done all these good works. Look at what I've done. No, we're saying I am here only because the righteousness of Jesus covers me. I'm here only because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm putting my faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. Jesus's righteousness, y'all, is the reason why we can confidently come before the throne of grace. If we did not have Jesus' righteousness, we would be insecure coming before prayer even with God. But now because of Jesus' righteousness covering us, Jesus fulfilling all of the requirement of the law, Jesus in his embodiment here on earth, his death, life, and resurrection, being in baptism, going under the water and coming up as a new creation is pointing all of us to we can have extreme confidence that we are children of God that we were bought at a price and that Jesus is our righteousness. What security that should bring us, that when we come before God and, and we, maybe we have something going on, we feel, we feel far from God. I don't know what has been going on in your life. If, if today you say, Jesus, thank you for the gift of being my righteousness, of covering me, that I can have full security and confidence to come before God as a child of God. Not because of my own righteousness, because of everything that you have done. That is, that is what I, I believe when Jesus takes on flesh, joins in the, the fallen humanity, identifies himself with us, that we are identified with him in his righteousness. So let's move into application. Some of you just real quick, the application might be, I've never been identified with Jesus through baptism. And I want to take that step of obedience. We would love to talk to you about that. I have some questions up here for just some applications for us to be thinking about this week of of what does this look like for for us to to step into being a witness, to be a a person called into pointing people to Jesus. And so let's throw these, these questions up on the screen. What did we see in this text that we need to obey or imitate? What is one way I can follow Jesus more fully today? John was clear on who he was not and his purpose to point everyone to Jesus. So how can you be a bridge builder pointing someone to Jesus? I wanna just give you a few moments just thinking through how you would respond to the words of God today. As we walk through the Gospel of John, the reason why we're walking through the Gospel of John is that we would discover for each one of us what it means to follow Jesus with our whole heart. That our belief would be matched with our action. One of the things I was thinking about uh, this week of just application for me is is just just praying, God, you've put people in my sphere of influence that that I don't need to carry the pressure of seeing someone come to faith. Like that's the Holy Spirit's job to reveal who Jesus is to that person. But you've called me to be a faithful witness in my words and with my deeds, to be able to point all people to your son, Jesus, to be that witness. I've been, um, you know, on our street, been praying, just just how can I be just just a witness on our street? And just this week, Um, One of my neighbors, um, I have a a home gym, and one of my neighbors was just saying, man, I wanna get back in shape. And so we started, we've been working out together twice a week. And it's just like God just just brings these things about of just saying, okay, if if you just pay attention to your sphere of influence, of who God has placed around you, our call is just to be through the spirit, to be a faithful witness, pointing people to Jesus. And the Spirit's the one who changes hearts and reveals who Jesus is. It just like relieved so much pressure that we can put on sharing our faith or getting words right, or what if I don't do this or that. Or, and so I just wanted to just encourage us this morning as we come to the Lord's table, that again, we're coming with the security of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. And that someone was a faithful witness for us to believe the good news So here's how I want us to come to the table. I want us to walk through in the same way that John did. Would you stand up with me? And and we're gonna read out loud a confession, an affirmation of who we are in Christ, and then our belief in who Jesus is based on the first chapter of the Gospel of John. So if you would have the elements in your hand as we read this together, then we'll take them together. So we're gonna start off with our confession. Not me, but him. So we confess together. Let's read this together. I am not the savior. I am not the Holy Spirit. I am not deserving of God's grace. I am not the word of truth. I am not the one who is in control. So our affirmation, pointing people to him. I am a witness to who Jesus is. I am filled with the spirit of power. I'm a messenger of the gospel. I'm a follower of Jesus, pointing others to the author of all of life. I am a child of God." And then from the first chapter of the Gospel of John are all these statements. Jesus, you are the living word. Jesus, you are life and the light of men. Jesus, you are the author, creator, and sustainer of all of life. Jesus, you are the son of God, full of grace and truth. Jesus, you are the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, you are the perfect one who took our place, your body, your life on our behalf, taking he. And Jesus, you are the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we remember that and put our faith in you today. Take and drink. I want us to respond. John had the revelation of who Jesus was. And us, as as people who have put their faith in Jesus, we one day will join with all of the people from all of time who have put their faith and trust in the one who is to come, Jesus declaring worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So let's take this and sing in response.